That's what I'm talking about. So remember what I said. Because I said it. Timo, what it do? Just wanted to drop a line, man, and say, um, man, I'm really liking what you're doing with the show, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really, um, I'm really enjoying it. Keep it popping. Just wanted to send a couple shots out. You know, keep the show going, keep it jumping. You know what I'm saying? Darius Outlaw. This is Janina, friends with Tony Moore for the past. Ooh. Over 30 years, and I just want to give you a shout-out, Tony. I love your show. I just started listening. I'm proud of you. Way to go. Keep up the great work. This is CJ from Waynesburg, Virginia. Love the show, Tony. Um, I really enjoy the perspective of you guys from the United States coming to play in the league in Germany and how the league is evolving and where it's going to be going in the future. I'm definitely going to recommend this podcast to my nephew. He's a football player and lacrosse player. For um, He just graduated from college, but he's going to be going to London to play for a team uh, in lacrosse, but he's definitely interested in playing football in Germany. He has a friend out there actually playing in the league right now. So uh, it's a great podcast. Keep it up. I'm looking forward to more episodes. Yo, this is Garen Holly here in Kansas City, Missouri. Check out the More of a Kind podcast. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Kim Lawson, and I'm tuning in from Atlanta, Georgia. And what I like most about this podcast is that it allows me to connect with people from my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio, even across the waters over in Germany. And so I thank you, Antonio, for this podcast, and you keep up the great work. Welcome to another show of More of a Kind. Today, I'm your host, Tony, Tony Moore. We've got a nice show for you today. We'll be talking about relationships, marriage, what's going on through the coronavirus time, a little bit about the NBA 2000 season, and what should they do about the NBA season this year with it being maybe postponed, and also the 2020 Olympics being postponed to 2021. And we also will be talking about the Jamaican ski team and the Dream Chaser. We have a special guest on our show today. So we'll start off with that. I'd like to introduce our special guest for today. He had a chance to participate in his, chasing his dreams in the 2014 Olympics. And I'll introduce him with no further ado, Mike, the Dream Chaser. Williams, how you doing, Mike? <laughs> hey, Tony, Antonio, Tony Moore. It's great to be on your show today. Thank you very much for the invite, and I'm doing very well. Thank you. Oh, that's great to have you. Um, like I was telling the people, you know, um, they don't know much about you. I'll give you a chance to you can tell a little bit about yourself. But Michael, you know, he's a Jamaican native and then uh, grew up in Toronto and then made his way over here to Europe. 
and we had a chance to meet each other here and become long friends. Uh, Mike, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself, you know, where you started and, and, and how you made your journey, and uh, also a little bit about um, what made you, uh, we'll touch on that as, you know, to the end, what made you also decide to chase your dreams in the <laughs> Olympics? Tell yes. the people. Yeah, sure. Of course. Of course, my friends. So first of all, Tony, thanks for the great introduction, my man. Really appreciate that. Um, yeah, as I said, uh, originally from uh, from Canada, family is uh, from Jamaica. Um, so yeah, Jamaican uh, roots are really deeply in my blood for sure. Uh, if you see me at home with my family, you wouldn't uh, really know me when I'm at home speaking to my family as opposed to when I walk out the doors and, and, and start speaking. Uh, to you there because it's obviously at home speak with my Jamaican Patois accent so it's uh, kind of funny for friends uh, always to see and experience that uh, but anyhow grew up in Canada grew up in Toronto uh, great place great people met a lot of really cool people some people you actually know some people you went to university with uh, guys like Ainsworth Morgan another fellow Jamaican um, who we went to the University of Toledo with and uh, yeah spent many years there uh, playing different sports obviously growing up in Canada um Ice hockey was uh, my number one sport growing up as a kid. Um, just as every Canadian's born with skates on their feet. But uh, at a certain point, it became quite clear. There wasn't that many black hockey players in the NHL at the time. I think there was maybe <laughs> only two or three. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was only maybe two or three. And, and my brother pulled me to uh, pulled me to the side one day and had a straight one-on-one -on -one talk with you. He was like, listen, Mike, um, I think you need to think about changing uh, changing sports if you really want to try to excel at another level. So that's when I kind of started off on my um, basketball and, and football uh, career, so to speak, just before I got to uh, the junior high school age. So it was actually really, really good. The hockey experience was fantastic for me, but yeah, not too many brothers playing hockey at that time. So time to switch gears, but it worked out really well for me, obviously. And uh Played many years of football in high school, went on and played Canadian University college football and came over here to uh, Germany uh, in 96 uh, to the Hamburg Blue Devils. Was lucky enough to come over here in uh, 96 and play with great guys like uh, Johnny Wright, and Bruce Reed, and a number of other people. And also had the chance to witness firsthand with my own two eyes the one they call Touchdown Tony Moore. Um, and it's funny, Tony, I, I got to tell you something. You are a huge reason why I came to um, Germany. I'll tell you a true story. I was sitting in Switzerland in 1995. Yeah, I was in Switzerland in 95 playing football there. And, you know, the Swiss League is, you know, nothing compared to the German Football League. And I didn't know anything about football in Germany. And my last day in Switzerland, I was watching the German Bowl. It came on TV on my last day in Switzerland before we're getting ready to leave to go home. And there you guys were playing against the Dusseldorf Panthers in the German Bowl. And I watched you, uh, you know, do your stuff there on TV. I think you guys were playing in front of 25,000 people or something. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. And that's uh, from that moment on when I saw you playing and with the Blue Devils, I said, I need to find a way to get over here to Hamburg and come experience this in Germany. So that's how I ended up uh, playing in 96. And, you know, as, as things would have it, our paths would cross many times. I almost lost me my job a few times, uh, coordinating special teams, um, you know, watching you return kicks for touchdowns and stuff like that. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Um, but, yeah, I ended up spending a number of years over here um, playing and then got into my coaching career, bounced around, uh, met some great people. Uh, in 97, got tutored by the one and only uh, Captain Kirk Heidelberg, um, underneath his wings for uh, for for the year '97, I learned a tremendous amount of football. Like 
great stories I'm sure I can tell you about that uh, through him and then bounced around to uh, got my first head coaching job in with the Huskies in 98 moved up to Keel in the um, 99 2000 seasons and coached against you there a number of times as well and uh, got to be a head coach there and an offensive coordinator at the same time went back to Canada for a few years and coached as an assistant head coach at university level in Canada and then came back over to Germany um, like we all kind of do Tony and uh, really kind of started my real life um, over here kind of away from from American football so to speak not as my main job um, but bringing me into uh, into other worlds in the sports world and, and sports tech world and sports apparel and sporting goods and stuff. And yeah, it's been good to me. Met my wife and uh, a number of years later, now all uh, all good, Tony. All good. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, I know we have a lot of history, a lot of stories. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> I always think about the story you tell about when you were coaching, um, you were up in Hamburg, and I think I was down in Stuttgart. And we were yeah, the story goes the story goes quite like this. Exactly. Actually, let me share that real quickly. In '96, um, we had a number of tremendous import players on our team, and um, so every week it was a battle, even just to dress as an import player. And so, you know, I was one of those guys in one of these games. I didn't get the chance to dress, but I uh, was put up to help out with special teams and help coordinate the special teams and. We decided uh, we knew all about you and said, okay, we cannot kick the ball to number one at all. First time we kicked the ball, we think we were beating you. I think it was 14 nothing. We'd scored uh, a couple touchdowns and kicked it to you. You took it back to the house, scored a touchdown. We went back down the field after that. We scored another touchdown. We went back to kick, and Chris Merrick got in the headset and was like, whatever you do, don't kick the ball to him. Well, what did we do again, Tony? We ended up kicking the ball back to you again. What did you do? You ended up taking the ball again, another 90-something yards to the house. And I just remember getting uh, my ass chewed out. Uh, pardon my French, we get my ass chewed out on the headsets for having the ball actually kicked to you a couple of times. So in that <laughs> short stint in one game, I almost lost my freaking job because of you. <laughs> never never forget that. <laughs> I'm glad to meet you. Um, and even through your coaching career, um, you even had a chance to be my head coach. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. That was uh, that was also a really fun time there. I forget the year it was. I think it was 2006, if I'm not mistaken, uh, with the Cologne Falcons. Yeah, getting a chance to coach you and, and David Drain and uh, a number of other guys. And that was we had a good run there, Tony. We had a really good run there, going up to Hamburg and you know watching you do what you do there, uh, taking a quick swing pass on the first drive of the game. I think it was like 70 yards to get to the house on the swing pass, which you told me you were going to do. So we put it in on the first uh, 10 plays on our script and then <laughs> uh, just making a big comeback at the end of the game and watching Dave Drain scramble around at the end of the game and throw that two-point conversion. Yeah, never forget. It was real, to be honest, it was a super pleasure to really get a chance to, to get to know you even better and coach you at that time because we'd always, you know, hung out and stuff like that after games and had a chance to talk and have some beers and share some stories. But it's a little bit different when you're fighting, uh, fighting the battle on the same side, um, on the same side of the fence. So it was awesome to get a chance to do that. Yeah. Kind of kickstarted our friendship too, I guess, at the same time. Yeah, that was a great year. Great experience. And you guys had a, a great coaching staff that year too. As I remember, I think we had Javon Lenhart, defensive coordinator, yeah. We had another uh, German football legend uh, coaching the D-line, L.Z. Anderson. That's correct. Uh, yeah, we did. A lot of German balls. So, yeah, that was a good time, good memory. Big and time. Then, 
What um what it what exactly made you get into to skiing or you know and that where did that come about? <laughs> Good question, man. I think something must have uh, gone wrong in my brain the day I actually turned to my wife and said, "This is what I want to do." But as you already know, as everyone you know knows, if you don't live under a rock, there is that story that Disney made called "Cruel Runnings." about our Jamaican uh, bobsled team from the uh, Winter Olympics in Calgary. And that's really what um, got me, inspired me to do what I did. I think the Winter Olympics were in 88, if I'm not mistaken, in Calgary. And that's what inspired me to uh, to do what I did. I Honestly, true story, Tony, I watched them on TV. Uh, I sat there with my grandmother. We watched them on TV together. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world, what they did, uh, what they did for Jamaica. I looked at my grandma, saw how proud she was of what they did, as crazy as it was. And at that moment, a little voice inside my head said, yeah, one day you want to, I want to compete in the Winter Olympics. I wasn't fast enough to do anything in the Summer Olympics, so forget that. But I said, yeah, I want to compete in the Winter Olympics. It was just kind of a thing that just kind of stuck in the back of my head and buried it way, way back. But then if you fast forward uh, to 2010, um, the Winter Olympics were again in Canada, this time in Vancouver, and I saw two things happen. We had a skier by the name of Errol Kerr, who skied uh, for Canada in the um, ski cross events. So picture like, um, you know, the BMX bikes racing down a hill, same thing, but only on skis. And he did that. He was an American. Yeah, he was an American, grew up in, in the States, but he skied for Canada, he skied for Jamaica. Um, his dad was a Jamaican, um, of Jamaican descent, and he got his passport through that and skied for Jamaica. And I saw that I was like, holy crap, we actually have a ski federation. We got a ski team. But then I saw another guy by the name of, um, his nickname was the Snow Leopard, and he skied uh, at the time uh, for Ghana. And I thought that was the coolest thing as well. I was like, wait a minute, if this guy could make it, I could make it. I turned to my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, Anna, and I said, you know what, this is what I want to do. I actually want to go and try to compete in the 2014 Olympics. And that was it. <laughs> that's, uh, I guess when you started to chase your dreams, you know, that's, um, yeah. I mean, that's a great message to people, you know, in general, uh, basically just putting your mind to something and then, yeah. and then going through with it. How exactly. was that experience for you? And what did you have to go through to prepare yourself, you know, oh, for... Yeah, it was, it was really, that's a great question, Tony. It was really, um, really crazy, to be honest with you. I, literally, I turned to my, to Anna and I said, this is what I want to do. She's like, what? I'm like, I want to do, I want to actually compete in the 2014 Winter Olympics in skiing. I saw the two things. I saw a Jamaican skier and I saw a guy from Ghana who learned how to ski perhaps six years before that. And he made it. And I said, if he can do it, I can do it. So I actually, we lived in Frankfurt at the time, and I drove to um, Bochum, just outside of um, the Cologne area there. I went to an indoor ski hall looking for anyone who could help me. I honestly didn't know what the heck to do or where to start. and wasn't going to drive to Austria or anything like that at the time. So I went to an indoor ski hall and met a person who became my ski coach, Andre Hurlbrink and told him what I wanted to do. He thought I was crazy, but he actually took me, Tony, the man took me out. He's a young guy at the time. I think he's maybe like, 25 or something he took me on the indoor ski hall got me all kitted out um we went up and down a bunch of times the, the ski halls maybe like 250 meters 300 meters long or something 400 at the max and he turned to me after we were done after about an hour he's like you can't ski at all like you're horrible 
but um, I love your story and I think it's really cool and yeah, I'd love to help you. And uh, yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. It really snowballed from that point. And before then you had no skiing experience. No, none, zero. Uh, even though I grew up in Canada, uh, where I grew up in Canada, um, in Toronto and Ontario, there are not very many ski hills at the time and just, you know, wasn't something that was afforded to me um, at that age anyhow or growing up just in a single parent family and stuff like that, a little more expensive and just didn't do it. wasn't never of any interest to me at all. So really, literally the first time I'd skied was going on this indoor ski hall. Um, there had never been on a mountain before or anything like that. So when we fast forwarded to all the things that we did, you know, which we might get into on this conversation, uh, to see where I started from to where I ended up, <laughs> I just have to shake my head and just thank God I didn't actually kill myself trying to do this whole thing. And, and you know what I think is so remarkable about this, you know, the people don't know, I believe you were at the age of 42 then when you started just chasing yeah. your dream. Yeah, I was uh, to be, I was 43 to be exact at the time. Uh, no, you're right, 42, 42 when I started uh, at the time. So I was an uh, old man uh, in skiing terms, definitely for sure, uh, an old man doing that. And But I, honestly, once I got the idea in my head that I wanted to do it, and you know, got the, I don't want to call it a green light, but let's just call it a cherry green light from, from Anna to go ahead and do this, I decided that... Um, I was going to go ahead and do this. So I didn't really care what came in my way. I knew I was going to be ridiculed and, you know, laughed at or whatever the case was, but I just figured out oh, what the hell, give it a shot. What's the worst that can happen and how things actually turned out catching a few breaks here and there. Um, Tony, it was, uh, you know, as I said, we'll probably get into it on this conversation. I'll let you ask the question, but it was an unbelievable experience, even at that age, even starting at that age and being way out of shape. <laughs> I mean, I could just imagine, and um, it cost a pretty good penny to, you know, just to, to do skiing itself. You know, that's a very expensive hobby. Um, yeah. But then we're trying to take it to another level, the Olympics. Um, yeah. How did you go about um, getting your, your things paid for, doing things like that as far as sponsoring? Because somebody that does something like that, they have to ski constantly, constantly travel. Uh, and, of course, being somewhere there where there is snow. How did you mm -hmm. how did you achieve that? You're absolutely right. So um try to keep this as short as possible, but to kind of run it through, once I met Andre, he actually sent me down to Austria to go meet up with one of his uh, good friends who was uh, a junior national ski coach uh, in Austria. So to go down with him and go and ski with him for one day. And that was the first day I'd actually been, you know, in the mountains. So we went and we did that. And uh, again, same thing. It's like, you can't ski at all. Like you're horrible, but I can see you've got some athletic potential and I'm willing to work with you. And these guys were very well connected in the ski world. And we sat down, we put together a full plan because the goal was exactly as I said, was to make it the 2014 to Sochi uh, to uh, the Russian, uh, to the Olympics in Russia. And so we sat down, made up a full plan. And part of that plan, obviously, was we needed to get sponsorship. Well, they were very well connected. And knowing that, you know, you've got this really cool story, hopefully, to tell and just kind of always making this connection to cool runnings, we got very lucky. We had a lot of doors open to us very quickly from Intersport, from Focal, from Cena, all these top either ski brands or um, uh, sporting stores that, you know, either gave us skis and ski apparel and the whole bit for free, 
or in the case of uh, Intersport, you know, gave us training um, training gear that we could use off the pist. So when I had to do all my indoor training and stuff, dry land training, we could do that. So I got really, really, really lucky um, when I look at it from that perspective. And, you know, I'm sure as you know, as being a professional athlete yourself, there's a lot of people out there who are skiing for Austria and, and, and Germany and all these other real winter countries, real skiing countries who couldn't get a penny, you know, and could ski 10 million times better than I could. But it's only because we had a story and we marketed it very well. We got lucky and got some doors open and the whole connection to cool runnings just really helped out. So that's really what helped us to get on the way to be able to do that. Well, and I mean, I know you were very determined uh, to chase your dream. And it was very uh, remarkable. A lot of people don't know what you had to go through in the process of doing this for all your qualifications. Um, as I recall, you also injured your knee during that time as well. Yes, I did. Um, so if I, you're absolutely right, Tony. So if I kind of take you through things, when I first started in 2010, the whole idea then was just to try to understand, you know, even what skiing was about. So I spent weekends or every few weekends, um, I would drive down to Austria, to the glaciers, um, take Anna with me and we would train. So this was like in the fall or like late fall, um, early winter in 2010 and did that through the winter in 2011 same thing every weekend i could go i was still working full time we would do that went to 2012 as we're getting closer now to the world championships in schladming and then it became to be decision time my coaches were like look you got to make a decision if you really want to do this and reach the olympics in 2014 you've got to commit to this full time and so we did <laughs> committed to it full time i moved to austria we got a sponsor to help us out um, with our accommodations for free and just having housing, money and everything else and having access to the ski pist. And that's where the world championships were. So I literally became, quote unquote, uh, a professional skier, so to speak, in um, through, through, through 2012, because that's all we did. We just woke up every day. We went skiing, um, trained, did our off uh, dry land training afterwards, went to the gym, did all the balance drills, everything, all that kind of stuff we did. They said, if you're going to do this, you're going to do this properly. So we did that and we were training all the way up until the um, world championships in 2013 in Schladming in Austria. And six weeks before the championships, and now this point, you know, we've built up a lot of steam. We were being filmed um, by Sky TV. They came to do a story on us. And I was taking a run on Giant Slalom, which was one of the two events I competed in. And on the third turn on the Giant Slalom, um, on my Giant Slalom run, I wiped out and couldn't get my skis up in time. And if you ever, I mean, I know you work in the ski world right now as well yourself. Um, giant Slalom skis are very long and I couldn't get them off. I couldn't get them up in the air quick enough as I was sliding down the piss right. and I caught an edge and twisted my knee really bad to the point that I tore my ACL. So um, that was six weeks before the world championship. So I had a decision to make, as you said, you know, what to do. So I tore my ACL and it was either get operated on and miss the world championships or um, go see your doctor. We had a great doctor, uh, Boris up in, in, um, in Cologne and uh, we got outfitted through one of his connections um, with Ortima to have a super, um, you know, carbon fiber brace um, put on my knee that would support me through this. And Ortima sponsored us fully on this, decorated the brace with 
um, you know, Jamaica flags and the whole bit didn't have to pay anything. They were just great people. And it actually allowed me to ski. So I did prehab before, you know, cause I was going to have surgery after the world championships. So I did prehab to get my knee at least stabilized again. Then I went on and continued training with the um, brace and competed in the world championships with a torn ACL and a brace. <laughs> That's a remarkable story. And just to think that you did that with that type of injury is, is um, almost unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, Tony, you've, you've, you've played professional sports yourself, right? For many, many years, and, you know, we kind of work through whatever injuries we get, especially when you've worked so long to, you know, get to a certain point, you know, it's the same thing as you, you know, getting yourself really banged up before the German Bowl. I know you played in the German Bowl in, in that year when I saw you on TV all mid up. I know you played in the German Bowl in 2000, like all of our other guys, you know, Javon's and Johnny's of the world, David Drain's, John Horton's, all those guys, all played through those big games injured. So it was really the same thing. I just trained so hard and dedicated so much time. It was like to quit now. Uh, I was literally in tears in the doctor's office, like, no, I got to find a way to do this. And we were lucky enough that we could do it. So, yeah, and fortunate enough, I didn't wipe out again <laughs> and uh, make things even worse. <laughs> I mean, that's great, though. I mean, but you were chasing your dreams and, you know, staying on the Olympics and, 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 and dreams. Um, you know, a lot of times we think about the basketball team, the dream team. Can you mm -hmm. remember when that was developed back in, I think, 1996, yeah. they started to make the, the NBA best to take to the Olympics. You know, we had back then David Robinson, Carl Malone, uh, Mike yeah. Jordan, yeah. Penny Hardaway, yeah. John yeah. Stockton, yeah. Akeem Olajuwon, Shaq. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can you remember yourself back then watching, you know, yeah. that? And, and was that also some type of motivation for you to say, maybe one day I could be in the Olympics? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, at the end of the day, um, and this is my honest opinion on this. I think competing in the Super Bowl or competing in the World Series or NBA Champions or anything, I think it would be absolutely amazing. But when I look at the dedication and sacrifice that these amateur athletes make to get to the Olympics, it's once every four years, you know, whether it's summer or winter, it's really special to make it there. The, all eyes on the, of the world are watching you know, this event for the two week period. I just think it's cool. So yeah, definitely watching those guys in 96 just kind of made you think again, as you see the opening ceremonies and all that, and the countries walking out, Tony, with their flags, you know, I just kept picturing on my head. Yeah. I can imagine you just being in a winter Olympics, single guy, maybe walking out with the bobsled team, you know, with the flag going through the, uh, the opening ceremonies, how cool would that be? So yeah, I got to experience it at the world championships, which was amazing. And seeing the flag up in the stadium, um, for the world championships uh, when I competed in 2013 was awesome. So, yeah. I know it's a great feeling. Um, it's something you'll have to share with your, your, your boys and, and your <laughs> family and friends for the rest of your life. You know, that's, that's a big accomplishment. I really have to give you a big, big up for that. <laughs> Thanks, my man. Yeah. Thanks. Much appreciated. Yeah, much appreciated. Well, honestly, too, think about it, right? This all happened in 2011 and so on and so forth. And this isn't a joke. You know, you get inspired by watching other great athletes do other great things and, and what they did, you know, watching, you know, guys like yourself do what you did in football and, and, and um, you know, the other guys out there, the Javon Lenarts of the world. And as I said, the David Drains, the Estrus Creighton's, John Horton's, and, you know, Bruce Reed's, Dino Buccio's, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So watching all you guys do your thing, I was never at your level, um, 
you know, when it came to football, but seeing what you guys did at the, you know, at the height of your career, it's like, yeah, hopefully maybe you can do something like that. Maybe it's not on the football field, Mike, but maybe it's someplace else, you know, so you get inspired in the friendships that you, that you make with people and kind of pushing you along the way. Cause you know, when I told you about it, you were like, Hey man, I think it's great go for it. You know, I got support from all of my ex uh, guys that I played ball with or coached with and stuff like that. So it was great to get that support from you guys at the same time. So never would have made it through without that um, support from you guys at the same time. And that's the truth, bro. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, definitely, you definitely achieved that. Um, and then, you know, I never at that time was a skier myself. But then I mm -hmm. can honestly say that I got into it later. And I was like, wow, if Mike can do it, I think I can try that as well. So I'm sure mm -hmm. you motivated a lot of people to, you know, I say <laughs> things outside the box and, and try new things. Um, yeah. That's Thanks. a great accomplishment. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate that. Man. But even <laughs> talking about the dream team in, in the, in the Olympics and, and, and basketball, you know, mm -hmm. what do you think about this year with the NBA 2000 season that right now, you know, being on hold? Yeah, that's uh I'll be honest with you. I'm from Toronto. I'm obviously a Raptors fan. Went to the home opening game last year when they unveiled the banner. And for me personally, to see what's happening right now in 2020 with everything going on with the coronavirus and the season being stopped, it's a real it's a real shame for all of basketball. No two ways about it. But just as just speaking strictly as a Toronto fan. It's really kind of heart uh, heart wrenching because we kind of look at it and say, "Oh, geez, I wonder if Toronto could have, you know, repeated or gone back to the Eastern Conference Finals um, at least to see what they would have done." You know, if everyone predicted them playing against Milwaukee to see what would have happened. What would have happened in the West? You know, uh, the claw against uh, against LeBron. How would that have all turned out? You know, was there going to be an upstart team? surprise team in the West again in the playoffs like Portland was last year, let's say. So many unknowns, you know, Houston looking at um, uh, the dynamic duo that they got down there with Westbrook and Harden, you know, how would that have turned out in the end? So many unknowns that I think is such a shame. This was probably the most anticipated basketball season, as you know, Tony, already being an ex-basketball pro yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, here in Germany at least, yeah, of the most anticipated basketball season in a really long time. And now we don't even get to see how that would have unfolded. It's a shame, man. Real shame. Do you, think, do you think it's a good idea for the NBA, if it's possible, to maybe start the season or finish the season later in the year? Or do you think it'll have some type of effect or give you a different feeling? Oh, man. Um, you know, on the one side, I totally understand that, you know, the NBA, like every other sport, is losing a ton of cash and what they're going to do to try to turn it around and how the viewer experience from home watching it on TV or with, you know, your phone in hand and all that can be really interesting. I'm Tony, I'm just not so hundred percent convinced that it is the right thing to do for this year. Perhaps it's just, you know what, let's just lick our wounds, take our losses for the one year and, you know, regroup and come back to it again in September, October, when everyone can really focus on it, get all this, you know, behind us right now with Corona properly and go from there. That's, that's what my, that's what my stomach tells me um, on that. You know, I think it would be a really difficult thing to do. You know, ask yourself, would you be, you know, really into it if the NBA came back right now to watch it? You know, you know the with, question uh, is, would I be into it? Um, I, I would be of course into it. I'm a sports fan, but then mm -hmm. there's a different effect because you don't feel like it, it, you know, it's almost like a new season. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of want them to finish that, you know, that they can, you know, in this in this season, in this book, because, you know, if they mm-hmm. do, that's a piece of history, you know, that you know, we don't have, you know, and then off of the old legend sure. players, how they compare every player to other players sure. and, you know, championships. This is almost a season that's just completely wiped out. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true, man. That's really, really true. That that and that's that's the big shameful part about the whole thing. A whole season wiped out, a lot of unknowns not answered and things like that. Um, yeah, from that sports fan side, it would be really difficult not to see. I, I know there were talks about them maybe just playing all the games in Las Vegas because they got their summer leagues out there and they're right. equipped with hotels and, and places to play. Yeah. I mean you, you just made a good point, right? If they played this until the end of the season, they managed somehow, um, whoever gets crowned champion at the end of the year, it would still go down in history as something really unique, you know, of the team that won. This is, you know, whoever it happens to be that gets crowned at the end of the year, this is the time that they won in with everything going on around with Corona. I think there's a really cool narrative around, you know, whoever the winner would be at the end of the year. So it could be pretty cool on the other hand as well from that standpoint. We'll go down in history for sure and you'll still always have your people you or your fans you know whose team didn't win then would always say well our team would have won <laughs> if we continued to play if we lost because of it because of this break so that still leaves yep. a lot of you know uncertainty and, and questions yep. and the door open for people really not to crown a champion a true cr- champion yeah, exactly, man. Exactly. And there's only so many virtual games you can watch on, you know, on the internet uh, of who would have won. So you're exactly right. It's just going to open up a lot, leave a lot on there for debate uh, at the end of the day if they don't crown a champion. But let me ask you, flip the, flip the script a little bit here on you. If they played it to the end of the season, um, managed some way, somehow, in a condensed uh, last part of the season, crowned a champion, how much do you think that would open up debate to saying, you know, that people would be out there discussing the fact, well, it's not really a true championship because, you know, whatever, X, Y, and Z, because we didn't get to play the full season and so on and so forth. How do you think that would affect everything? Well, I mean, you're going to have the discussion both ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the fans or the people are going to always, I guess, lean to the side that supports their thoughts or their feelings. Um, For me, I'm a fan of the sport. Um, I'm a fan of LeBron James, the Ohio kid. Um, mm-hmm. So my opinion, you know, I've always hoped that, you know, that they would win in, in L.A. this this season. Um, yeah. So if the outcome was that they won the season, if they were able to resume it or not, you know, me personally, I will feel okay because that would be my wish. But that wouldn't be for everyone else. Um, mm-hmm. But I understand, too, that, you know, the situation is what it is whatever happens, you can never go back and really never know what the outcome would be. You know, um, you can't judge a game or, you know, until it's played. Exactly. Um, sure. So regardless what happened, you know, at this point, um, it's something new, something different, and what we'll just all mm-hmm. have to accept, have to accept. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. understand it is what it is and and go on from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, very true. I mean, regardless, it's going to be, there's going to be debate on either side, right? Whether the season's played or not, there's going to be a lot to be debated and discussed, which at the end of the day is also good for sport. It's also good. It gives us something more to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) Thinking about, you know, the season being postponed, 
you know, and and, yeah. and and now, you know, the NBA guys and a lot of sport guys, they're always traveling during the season and they're not able mm-hmm. to, you know, spend a lot of time with family, you know, you know, the married mm-hmm. guys and different things like that. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, you know, of course, being an athlete, you know, has its pros and cons with relationships, you know, not just like yes. talk about, you know, a little bit about um, um, <laughs> just saying that. How do you think, <laughs> how do you think, um, how do you think marriage and, and relationships and things have been now during this coronavirus where a lot of people have to spend more time with each other? How do you think that's going for your opinion for um, on both sides for a lot of yeah. people? Yeah, honestly, I think, um, I think those who are lucky enough to have come into this in a very good position, uh, you know, in their relationship with their spouse, girlfriends, husbands, whatever you want to call it. It's great for them, you know, from a perspective of just getting time to spend even more intense time with each other and having life kind of slow down around you. Um, you know, knock on wood, I put myself in that group and I've been really enjoying having the time at home with my family, with my little one, because I travel a lot for work. Um, so it's been great from that standpoint. But on the other hand, um, you know, for the people who came into it, Tony, on the other side of the story, <laughs> gosh, damn, I think that would be really, really tough if they're not able to take that time to figure out, you know, how they can make things better. Because if not, man, that, that'd be, <laughs> that'd be, you know what, man, that'd be living in, living in, in hell, so to speak, I think for a lot of people. So I think there's going to be a lot of divorce lawyers at the end of this they're going to be raking, uh, raking in quite a few clients when this is all said and done, <laughs> so to speak, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, sure. people, people sure. are getting a chance to spend more time than ever, you know, with their partner um, for a mm-hmm. lot of people, of course. And when you think about mm-hmm. it, you know, we really don't spend a lot of time with our partner, you know, if we're working or our other partner's working, um, especially, uh, you know, like they did years ago. I always think about something years ago, old generation, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the, the man was out at work, you know, yeah. before they had yeah. texting and, and FaceTime, you know, yeah. you saw him when you came yeah. home, you found about, the, you found out about the problems when you came home, you know, is that the truth? And now, you know, today when something's happening, you find out instantly, you're getting a call directly, instantly. you're getting a FaceTime directly. You actually spend more time, you know, in a relationship than you did in the past. So, so true. And, and so true, man. And now being at home during Corona, you're spending even more time than that. So I think a lot of people mm-hmm. are getting to really know each other. But uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so true, man. Learning, learning, learning how to actually like talk together with your partner, with your spouse yeah. again, because you're right. I mean, even though we have, you know, WhatsApp and every other, um, you know, connective platform that's out there to keep us in contact with each other, keep us connected. Even just doing that, it's still not the same, right? You're probably writing a lot with your wife. I'm sure the same with you and, and, and Sylvia. Sylvia traveling a lot for work. You guys probably write a lot during the days, right? Right. But exactly. as you say, now being at home, it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> we can talk and talk 24-7 because we're all we got. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I feel sorry for a lot of people too this year. You know, thinking about that, you know, there's a lot of weddings that were planned this year. I wonder (sighs) how that's going to go. Yeah. 
Yeah, just had a friend cancel his wedding. Um, supposed to be Tony's supposed to be this week, May the first is this week, if I'm not mistaken. And it was supposed to be this week, and he had to cancel his wedding. Uh, Thomas Kusling, guy that I coached with for a few years in Frankfurt, had to cancel his wedding. So yeah, it must be real tough. You know anyone that had to get their wedding? I have, I have a, another friend of mine. His wedding is planned for June, um, but there's mm -hmm. still no info right now on what's going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that's a that's a real tough situation. I'm thankful that you know I, I got my wedding out of the way. You've got your wedding out of the way. <laughs> Yeah, I think about yeah, my wedding. Yeah, exactly. I think about my wedding. You were my best man in my wedding. And, uh, <laughs> yes, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, can you imagine if that? Think, think about it for a second, though, Tony. You know, it's stressful, right? It's a stressful time getting married. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of enjoyment, and as they say in German, Vorfreude, you know, for what's going to happen. But could you imagine trying to plan a wedding with the uncertainty, you know, even if it was July, you know, and stuff like that. I believe your wedding was later on in, in the summer, early fall, if, I'm not, if I can remember correctly. But can you imagine trying to plan a wedding during this time with the uncertainty, all the extra stress that would bring upon yourself and Sylvia or myself and Anna? Think about that for a second. It would not be possible. Um, <laughs> it would not be possible. And there's one thing I always think about it, you know, at my wedding, I couldn't imagine um, having to plan all that we plan and then having to cancel mm -hmm. that would just be, um, would just be a nightmare. Um, yeah. Um, I know it would have been, um, a nightmare for, for a lot of people also planning trips and, and, and spending money. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's yeah. a big, that's a big loss. Um, big time. Yeah. Big time, man. Yeah. Big time. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm about to knock on some wood right here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God that didn't happen to us. But uh, yeah, you're right. And, and those I can imagine having too. you know that happen to us this year. Um, if we were mm -hmm. playing our wedding, I know you couldn't imagine that either because you spoke at my wedding and you kind of like spoke a little bit too yeah. long and they wanted to serve the food, but Mike wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I hijacked the mic, yeah. man. I was pretty stupid trying to try to tell a story in German and in English. Yeah. Uh, I think I lost half the crowd about halfway through it. Bro. But I couldn't imagine not being able to to you know live those different things. Um, so it got to be really tough for people, you know, today. For sure. But I hope we, for I sure. hope we get through it and 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 we get past it. Um. That's something that you know I say myself, and I'm sure you as well haven't experienced. Mm -hmm. Absolutely right, man. Just uh, looking. Thank God the weather's actually played a uh, um, alongside uh, at this time. I know here in, in Hanau the weather's been great. I mean, probably all across Germany these last few weeks. So thank goodness the normal spring would have probably you know drove us to our graves really early jumping outside of a window if it was raining and dark all the time during this quarantine time so yeah but i, but I, but I believe if everybody just takes a page out of your book and um you know continue to think positive um believing in yourself tracing chasing your dreams um we'll <laughs> all make it through this yeah thanks man yeah but you know i i really mm -hmm. enjoy you coming on the show today and, and sharing your story and speaking with us is there any last words that you would like to say? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, man. I, yeah, really, the last words I want to say is really to uh, to yourself and, and to, to Curtis Cooper right now. And, you know, really to you, Tony. I know you've been talking about doing this 
getting a podcast up and running for the last little bit and to actually see you up and doing this and then the response you're getting from people and you know just how how it's coming along and you're following your own dream doing the same thing this is what i'm talking about you know um birds of a feather flock together right you influence a lot of people and you're following your own dream and doing something as hats hats off to you man for for doing this and, and, and taking the initiative during this time to actually say i'm going to make use of my time and and getting on with uh, the more of a kind show from Antonio to any more, man. Just wish you all the success. I think it's awesome what you're doing. Honestly, I think it's awesome what you're doing. Thanks a lot. I know we've been talking about that, you know, this for years. And, um, you know, we'll mm -hmm. eventually soon have you know, our own little TV show uh, at one point. Uh, we can maybe just throw hmm. the name out there, The Bridge. <laughs> the Bridge. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, like I said, you influence myself and I'm sure a lot of other people's people just basically, you know, put your mind to it and, and, and do it. And um, Thanks, I'd rather you thank you for that as well. Um, Thanks, brother. Appreciate that. Um, really, thank you for taking the time. And if anyone, no Thanks for having if me. anyone have any questions or, or comments or response to the show or more of a kind in general, you can always write me at on Facebook at Antonio Tony Moore. Or on Instagram, Antonio underscore Tony underscore more. And I will definitely respond to your questions or comments or any topic ideas that you have. Mike? Tony? Thank you for coming. Until next time, more of a kind. <laughs> have a good one.